will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness to Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is personally my favorite scripture as far as missions. Um, because these were Jesus' last words. Uh, Jesus had rose from the dead. He had appeared on and off for 40 days. And these were the very, very last words he spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Now, we need to have a little bit of a shift and, and hear these words from the disciples' perspective. Okay? The, the, the disciples were in the middle of a major paradigm shift. Uh, things hadn't gone like they expected. They were sure that Jesus was going to um, rise up as their king and overthrow the Romans and lead them into victory. But instead, they watched him be crucified. He's resurrected. And now, he's saying he's leaving them. And these are his last parting words. I don't know if you've ever been with anybody when they're, they're, they're just about to die and everybody kind of leans in and thinks, what are they going to leave with us? What jewels are they going to say? What are we going to remember them by? And, and we listen, listen very intently to see what they're going to leave with us. Uh, about 10 years ago, I stood at um, the, the bed of one of our fathers. He was dying of three of our children. Um, his, their mother had already died of AIDS. The father was dying of AIDS. He had been living with us for about three months. And so we knew that he was going to be taking his last breaths. And I, I was saying to the children, I was having, he had uh, two boys and a girl, and I had them promise their dad that they would be obedient and they would work hard at their studies and they would hold on to Jesus. And I promised the father that I would do the best we would as a ministry to raise these children. And he said, I can die in peace. I know Jesus. I know my children know Jesus. And I have people to take care of my children. I can go home. And over the years, I've had to call all three of them in at different times and say, honey, I'm doing my best to keep my end of the promise. Are you keeping your end of the promise? What did you promise your father? And we would remember their last words to their father and their father's last words to try to put them back on track and keep them going. Now, that father, those were truly his last words. These are Jesus' last words here, but not his last words to us. He's promising them something. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Um, he was telling him, he's going to the right hand of the Father to make intercession for them, but that he is sending the Holy Spirit um, that's going to tell them the heart of the Father. Um, he is giving this promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, now the, the disciples had been watching for three years. They had seen miraculous, miraculous things happen in the presence of Jesus. I find it fascinating in Matthew 6 that the disciples, when they went to Jesus, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us to preach. They didn't say, teach us to do the miraculous. They didn't teach it, say, teach us to do the supernatural, teach us to heal. They said, teach us to pray. They had been watching. Jesus constantly was going, set, going away and praying. Now, we have to remember, when Jesus came to this earth, he came fully human. He was still fully God, but he was fully human. And he set aside his godness and his ability and his power 
and in the access he had to the Father, and functioned as a fully human being, but yielded to the Holy Spirit and connected to the Father. He continually told us again and again, I do nothing apart from the Father. When I realized that Jesus did all those miraculous things as a human being, as a man, yielded to the Holy Spirit without sin, oh, that's exciting. That invites me up. That says, come on, that's an example set before me. You can do what I have done. Um, Can I have the next slide, please? Oh, I'm going to have to... I didn't realize it was going to be that small. I'm going to have to open it up on mine here. Um, This is uh, John 14, 12. And again, Jesus is constantly trying to get his disciples to understand what his plan is, what he's going to do. He doesn't want them to panic. um, And he's promising them things. And he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, theologians today are arguing about these greater works, that we will do greater works. Some are saying greater in significance. Some are saying greater in numbers, just because of the amount of Christians we have today, and um, as we begin to move out in the Holy Spirit, that we'll have greater numbers. I don't know which one it is, and I'm not a theologian. I'm just saying that the Lord has promised me in his word that I can do greater things um, as a man totally yielded to the Holy Spirit and connected to the Father. I don't know about you, I want to do greater things. Um, I want to see those greater things. I want to see the kingdom expanded. Um, The scripture goes on. If you love me and keep my commandments, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to come and help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth, another promise of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I... I live, and you also will live. A promise that he, w- he was leaving, but that we would continue to see him. That we would continue to, to um, go forth, and he would continue to guide us. Um, we have been given this mandate. Um, Jesus knew he was going to the Father, and here he's passing on the baton. To, and he passed it on to the disciples, and he said, Go. Go and make disciples. Uh, Start in Jerusalem. Start in your Jerusalem. Your Atlanta area here is your Jerusalem. Uh, And then into all Judea. And then into Samaria, into the ends of the earth. Um, I praise God for this church because from the beginning of this church, um, it wasn't just for Atlanta. From the very onset of this church, from the very roots of this church, Pastor Banks said, This church is called, and this group of people are coming because we're going to reach the nations. There's a special anointing here. When when churches make and declare from their beginnings, their early roots is not only to glorify God and bring forth the word and help make disciples, but to take it 
to the nations, and not just say that they're going to take it to the nations, but to give actively to the nations, there's a special anointing and a blessing here because of it. But the promise, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus came to an orphan planet to show us the extravagant love of the Father. To give us a way and access to the extravagant love of the Father. So that once we experience that extravagant love, that we go forth as a light into this world. You know, I was raised in a time that the church told me that we go forth as a light to reveal sin of others. But I, I want to say no. Light attracts people who need refuge. And I think it's time that we see that paradigm change. We're not going out to reveal the sin of people and show them they're sinful. We're going out with the extravagant love of the Father that is going to be a light for those that need refuge to come and receive that extravagant love. That you don't need to point out their sin. Your presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit upon you and you being with them will this have them automatically confess their sins? We need to be carrying the presence of God to the extent that when we enter a room, we alter the atmosphere of that room. That the light of God comes into that room. Um, I just heard a testimony the other day that um, somebody was on a plane, and um, um, the person behind them finally stood up and said, I can't take it anymore. You're convicting me. Your presence is convicting me. And said, I need to... To repent of my sin. I thought, hallelujah. He didn't even preach. He just hosted the presence of the Holy Spirit. And because he was hosting the presence, it brought conviction on people who want that presence as well. Jesus should be visually seen in our life should be tasteable. When, when, when people meet us and we share with people, they should know that they met Jesus. Uh, they should see something different. Um, I have a quote here from one of my favorite authors. And it says, Nations and people groups should find purpose and identity as the presence of God is established in individuals who have found their purpose and desire to be a creative force in this earth that represents his purpose. As we click in to what God has created us to be, our own personal desires, our own personal talents, and we host the presence of God, we can transform communities. We can transform cities. We can transform nations. And we can help them click into their identity. Today I want to take you a little bit on a journey of how God's been doing that among the Akka. Can I have the next slide, please? When uh, we first started working among the Akka, there was less than 1% Christianity among the Akka. They were considered the, hard, the, the least evangelized people in that whole area, uh, the most hard-necked. They were, had the highest rate of um, drug addiction. They had the highest rate of selling their daughters into prostitution. Um, and the most social problems. When people heard I was going to work with the Akka, when they heard I was going to marry an Akka, they said, you're crazy. 
Um, I, I, do you know the reputation of these people? I had um, OMF missionaries from England that says, you're crazy, don't you do it, don't do it, don't do it. You marry an Akka, those Akkas are going to torment you, is what they told me. Um, so when we started in our Jerusalem with the Akka, we had to go where they were at. They were deep in their witchcraft, they were deep in sin, they were deep in fear, and um, they had no desire at, at that particular time to change until we started shining the light of Jesus. And they would begin to look in our eyes and they would say, you don't have any fear. Why don't you have any fear? I don't know how many times people would just look at me and I'd be doing something, and it'd be late at night, we'd be in a village, and they said, aren't you afraid? And I said, no. And that, that, they, they would just be drawn to that, and they would want to know, why aren't you afraid? Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords lives in me. Greater is he than me, than, than he that is in the world. And they began to see it, and we slowly started seeing the Akka come to the Lord. Um, can I have the next slide, please? Um, this is um, just recently at one of our women's conference. And when we start, they started accepting the Lord, and major leaders started giving their hearts to the Lord, it started just spreading like wildfire. And their hunger and thirst, not to have to make any more animal sacrifices, not to have to live in fear, um, and to have a freedom in Jesus Christ grew, and it grew quickly. Uh, the next slide. Currently, the Akka of Thailand is now 30% Christian. Now, the, the nations around us, they're still less than 1%. We have Akka in all five nations. Um, so the Lord has began to do something among the Akka in Thailand, which is the only open country. All the rest are communists. But now we're starting to get the Akka to come ac from across the border, and we're doing training, and we're sending them back. Um, some of our graduates are already crossing the border, and we're beginning to reach the Akka and the nations around us. Can I have the next slide? I want to just take you on a journey with our ministry. I want you to meet some of the people that, by you giving to our mission, that you're touching. Uh, this is Bouti. Uh, she's the one in the glasses. She is our very first college graduate um, from our House of Joy. Um, uh, she <laughs> House of Joy currently has 86 children. Eight of them are in university right now, and, and 76 live on our campus. Bouti, once she graduated with her degree in linguistics, she came back and she's on staff with us now. And she, the children absolutely adore her, but she's also leading up our Bible translation team. And just right before I came here, we were working on the Bible translation team for two, for two weeks. And I came in and I sat down and I was having lunch with my husband and the, the, um, Dr. Ross, the linguist who comes in and works with us. And my husband said to Dr. Ross, he says, have you been watching Bouti? And Dr. Ross shook his head and smiled, and he says, yeah. And a Jay, proud papa, says, she's passing me up. She's better than I am. And Dr. Ross laughed and said, yep, she is. And what a joy. You know, the territories we take now in the spiritual realm, we're taking for our children. Our ceiling is our children's floor. Our children are going to go further than we've ever gone. Our spiritual children as well. 
And what a joy to see them taking what we have worked so hard to get and then just building off of it. And what they're going to do is amazing. Can I have the next slide, please? This is Lisu. Lisu came to us two years ago. We got Lisu is the one in the wheelbarrow. Um, Lisu came to us because my, my teenagers went on a Christmas outreach to a village. And uh, they came home and they said, Mom, there is a tear in that village. This child is the most unruling child I've ever seen. His, mother, his father already died and his mother is a drug addict. We've got to do something for this kid. And these teenagers made two or three trips back to that village and worked on an application and made it possible for Lisu to come live with us because they knew that he needed to come. Now, Lisu, um, he was, he's dying for love. But he, he'll climb into your lap and you're loving him, but if he feels threatened by any, that you're going to reject him or something, he'll bite you or kick you, and then he'll run away. Um, and he's always trying to manipulate the situation so that he can have the most power. When he first arrived, I said to the staff, okay, all I'm going to require is that Lisa stand still for prayers. Uh, if he's with you, just put your hand on his shoulder and say he's going to honor prayer. When we pray, he has to stand still. And then we'll just slowly, gradually get from there. And um, one day I saw he had gotten into it with one of my Bible students. And uh, he was trying to kick her. And she, she has him by the head, kind of holding him out. And, um, and I'm thinking, it's going to pass, it's going to pass. But it kept escalating. And she was trying to re restrain him. And pretty soon he was hurting her and she was hurting him. So I went out. And um, I got a hold of his hands and got him around him and just took, we went down on the ground. I put, took my big old fat leg and I put it over his little six-year-old legs. And he's, he's arching his back and just screaming. And all these, you know, kids are running and Bible students and I'm just saying, go away. Everybody go away, go away. And, um, and he, he, his head is here and he keeps trying to bite me. And, but I keep whispering to him. And he has to stop screaming because he can't hear what I'm saying. And I keep whispering. I said, Lisa, as soon as you stop, I'll let go. Lisa, as soon as you stop, I'll let go. And then I said, Lisa, I will never reject you. I will always be here for you. And his whole body relaxed, and he stuck his head into my shoulder, and he cried from the pit of his stomach. He said, Amma, 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 which means mother, mother, mother. The, 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 the desire of that child just to have the love of a mother. Um, he had told me one day, I was talking to him, and I said, Lisa, how did your dad die? And he said, oh, he looked at me, and he was just so disappointed he died. I said, what? I said, who told you that? He said, my mother. I was such a bad boy that one day he just looked at me and he was just so disappointed, he died. I said, honey, that's a lie from the pit of hell. But Lisa, I mean, he, this kid is bright. Uh, one day I'm standing in the kitchen and a teenager is asking me if he can do something. And Lisa is running all over the kitchen and he, he's talking and the teenager's asking me and I, I, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, do I let him go? Do I not let him go? And I'm, I'm closing my eyes and I'm asking for discernment for the Lord. How do I answer this teenager? And Lisa says, Mom, 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 why did you close your eyes? Mom, he's talking to you. Mom, you haven't answered him yet. Mom. And, um, 
And I looked at, I finally opened my eyes and looked down, and he looks at me and he says, oh, you're praying. I said, Lisa, I'm trying to pray. He says, you know what I found out last night? Our God is so big, he doesn't have to sleep. If you want to pray at 2 o'clock in the morning, our God's wide awake. He doesn't even have to sleep. (laughs) And I thought, oh, Lisa, he's going to preach the gospel. He's going to take the gospel to Laos, Burma, and China. Because he's excited that our God doesn't even have to sleep. Huh? Okay, next slide. This is a precious Abba, and Abba is actually supported by your church. Now, Abba is the complete opposite of Lisa. He is a lover, and he is gentle, and he just loves everybody. He loves you until you give him candy. Uh, uh, He's very good at that. And um, so one day, there's like five or six boys in the house, and they're all telling their story. And they, they, they can tell their story because the grandmas in the village always tell the stories. Now, they don't tell good stories. When a child goes by, they say, oh, that child's father's an alcoholic, and oh, that, that child's mother ran away with somebody else's mother, and they hear their stories over and over. Uh, and so they repeat them like adults. And so um, Abba is only four, and so he, he's the last one to tell his story, because he can't compete with the other ones. And it finally becomes his turn, and Abba says, well, my dad, he's drunk every day. And he, he, beat, he used to beat my mom until she ran away, until blood, she, he would beat her till she bled. Um, he says he's not drinking now, but I'm not that stupid. He says he goes behind the door and shuts the door and he drinks where I can't see, but I know he's still drinking. But then his whole face lights up and he says, but my sponsor came for a visit and my sponsor loves me more than anybody in the whole wide world. Next slide, I'll show you who his sponsor is. <laughs> you all sponsor Abba, that, but Abba thinks Krule is his only sponsor. <laughs> And just loves Krulet. Um, you can see, and um, when, whenever Krulet arrives, he just is right next to him, <laughs> follows him wherever he goes. And I, he, he, he said it so far, he says, he loves me more than anybody else in the whole wide world. He loves me more than Jesus. And all the other boys were like, no, no, no. Theologically incorrect, no. <laughs> next slide. Oh, we went the wrong way. Okay, this year for our graduation, we had 30 graduates, and it was a wonderful joy. Pastor Bank is putting a team together to come to our graduation next year. Next year, we're going to have 70 graduates. Since since 2004, we've had over 200 graduates that are going out and uh, making a difference in the world. I want to introduce you to one of our graduates. Uh, Next slide, please. This is Aja. Aja came to us four years ago. Um, Aja had been out hunting on the border of Thailand and Burma, and uh, he came along a tree, and there was something in the tree that he had never seen before. It wasn't a landmine, it was kind of like a tree mine, I guess. And um, he took the end of the gun and he started hitting it, and it blew up. It blew the, his gun off, blew his right hand off, and his right eye out. Um, when this happened, his brother had died five months earlier. 
um, in a freak accident. And the villagers freaked out. They said, you guys have done something to offend the spirits. There's a bad spirit on you. You can't stay in this village any longer. You got to get out of here. And everybody was afraid of him, and they made him leave. But his cousin had graduated from our Bible school. So our cousin, his cousin brings Ajah to the Bible school and says, can Ajah come to Bible school? He's not a Christian yet, but I'm sure he will. Um, so he asked Ajah. Ajah cried the first two weeks. Um, he couldn't believe. He had been so shunned, and everybody was so afraid of him. But the orphans just climbed all over him. Uh, one orphan kept saying, I keep thinking your hand's going to grow out of there any day. When is that hand going to come? Um, and uh, Ajah um, began to go with our evangelist to the mountains and started sharing Jesus after he accepted the Lord. And he said, you know what? I'd rather know Jesus and not have a hand and an eye than to continue to go through life with a hand and an eye. Ajah is now coming on staff with us. But you know what? Every time we have a revival, Ajah believes his hand is going to grow back. And he steps out in faith and believes that he's going to have a hand grow back. Um, he takes duct tape to his, the limb, and he, he duct tapes it, and then he plays the guitar. Uh, last year, he was doing um, his internship in um, uh, Elephant Mountain, one of our villages. And one of the little boys in a Sunday school class fell in love with him. And... Um, it turns out his father is in the coffee trade and is a, uh, making good money. And his, his father, once he realized he just had an empty socket, he bought him a glass eye this last year. Um, so we're, we're very excited to have Ajah. Okay, next slide, please. Um, this is um, Apio is the woman and Soyo is the man. They came to us eight years ago. When they arrived at our Bible school, um, they had done drugs up to the day that they arrived. They had two very unruly children. And every time they got angry, they beat on each other. Uh, we became very good at splitting these two up in fights. Um, everybody on the compound would learn when these two got escalated, get them apart as soon as possible. Um, and so we, we, we were slowly first dealing with them getting off drugs and um, moving on from there. But one day we were doing um, fasting and prayer, and Soyo comes to me and he says, I have something to confess. And I said, okay. He says, no, we need to go outside. And so we went outside and he says to me, I murdered a man. Now I've had a lot of things confessed to me, but I've never had anybody confess that they've murdered somebody. And so as he starts to tell me the story, there was a man in his village who there's a certain time of the year that you have to make sacrifices to the gods um, or their, um, and declare certain things for your family. Well, he didn't do it. And so he said the evil spirit started to come after him, and then he was on amphetamines. And this man went crazy in the village and uh, took a knife and stabbed Soyo's father and killed him, and then stabbed two or three other people. Now, in Aka tribal council, they quickly called everybody together and said, we don't know what this guy's going to do. We need to kill him. And then Soyo says, he killed my father, I'll kill him. So Soyo, they gave him a knife, and Soyo went and um, hunted him down, tackled him, killed him. They buried the body. When the police came, they said, well, he went up over the mountain. We haven't seen him since. Um, but there was a spirit of rage and murder on Soyo uh, that hadn't been dealt with, that had to be dealt with. 
Now, Apio, her, her problems were never all together. When she was eight years old, she, her and her brother were both sick, and they had gone to the hospital, and their mother said to them, I'm going to go buy food, I'll be right back. She left and never came back. Still to this day, they've never seen her mother. Um, a, another lady came into the hospital from the village and took her, her home to her grandmother, and she was already raising 12 kids. Um, so Apio had a whole other set of woundings. Um, but Apio taught Ajay and I something very significant. Um, now, I need to back up. I did something really crazy about 22 years ago. I married an Akka. Um, now, you can't get much different. I come from an Italian background. Um, Italian-American and Akka-Asian are poles apart. Uh, and, and our personalities are poles apart. My husband is very meticulous. He thinks things through. He, he, he's a perfectionist. His margin of error is about this large. And then there's me. That I, the first thought that comes to my head, I speak it out. I'm always going and moving. And my margin of error is about this big. Uh, so when we got married, there, there, we had our culturally... Um, personality, we just were worlds apart. Now, my husband didn't even know when his birthday was. He had never even celebrated a birthday. So there, here, there was a major problem because I had this Hollywood idea of what I thought a family should be, that you have to decorate the Christmas tree, and you have to have Thanksgiving, and you have to have Christmas. And my husband doesn't have a grid to even put this on. You know, you have to celebrate anniversaries. And I don't know if African and African-American women have the same problem as us white women. We have this thing, this control monster that rises up in us, and we think we're going to change our husbands. <laughs> so I think, you know, I'm just going to help him understand how this is supposed to go. But what happens is when we... When we do that, we, we repel them even further away than where we want to get them. And uh, about 10 years ago, you know, you, every, every marriage book you read, they say marriage is a lot of hard work. And about 10 years ago, the Lord says, Nancy, you're working so hard at this marriage, you're going to kill it. <laughs> Leave this poor man alone. You put your husband at my feet and you pray for him. That's all I want you to do is pray for your husband. You have enough garbage of your own. You work on Nancy and you leave him alone. And so I, I was learning to do that and not allow that control monster um, to rise up and make my husband what I thought he should be. Uh, but during this time, I was also seeing in my husband, he had a mantle of a father. And I would see him love on the boys, but he wouldn't hug the girls. And I, and I said to him, honey, you're really coming under a mantle of a father. I, you need to start hugging these girls as well. They're dying for affection from you. And he said, Nancy, in Asian culture, I can't. It's just not allowed. It just doesn't look right. I said, but you're getting gray, honey. Come on. Um, and he, he just saying, I can't take those chances. Um, but in my heart, I knew there was something more. So we, there was a day that we, Soyo and Apio had gotten in a fight. Ajay had Soyo, I had Apio. 
And Ajay walked in the room to see how we were doing. And the Holy Spirit dropped something in my spirit. And I turned to Ajay and I said to him in English, Honey, I'm going to have Apio stand up. And I'm going to take Apio in my arms, and then you take both of us in our arms, and you bless her with the blessing of a father. And he, with no hesitation, he did it. And both Apio and I had our heads on my husband's chest, and he's kissing her forehead, and she's weeping and weeping and weeping as the Lord just began to minister and minister to her. I cannot, it's even hard for me to find the words, what it's like. Two yielded people to the Holy Spirit and see the extravagant love of God pass through you, and you know it has very little to do with you. Um, about a, a week after that, it was our anniversary, and you know how husbands come to you and they get this kind of pitiful look on their face, and they say, well, you, do you want to go out to eat? You know? <laughs> and, and so my husband says, do you want to go out to eat? And it had been a long day. We'd been ministering all day. I said, no, honey. In a week, we've got to go down south to, to minister down south. Let's just do it then. And he said, okay. He seemed relieved. Um, so we went down south um, into Pattaya. Pattaya is the Sodom and Gomorrah of Thailand. It's, it, prostitutes crawl the streets. Um, and there's just prostitutes everywhere. Well, Youth with a Mission has a ministry down in Pattaya where they rescue girls out of prostitution. They give them a, another chance. They, they train them as beauticians. They train them um, in bake, baking, and they have a, a coffee shop, and they do things. But they, um, about once a year, they do a three-month Bible school. And Ajay and I will go in and teach for a week, and we do the Father Heart of God. Well, we had completely forgotten about what God had just taught us about appeal. And we were both teaching. And then Ajay turned to me in the middle of his teaching. And he says, do you remember what Apio taught us? And it dawned on me. We spent almost five hours with these ex-prostitutes. And we would just one by one. Um, Ajay, I would take them in my arms. And then Ajay would take us both in their arms. And we would just pray over them, giving them the heart, the mother heart of God and the father heart of God, and began to heal them. You know, people say, they come up to me and they say, you've sacrificed so much for the field. And I'm thinking, no, I haven't sacrificed anything. At that moment in time, to be ministering with my husband and to feel the love of God pass through us in, in such a powerful way, I thought there's no other place I'd rather be in the whole wide world. I haven't sacrificed anything. The blessings that I have received to find my destiny and who God created me to be, this crazy American Italian woman who decided to marry an Aka, and God is using it in Thailand, boggles my mind. But what a joy. What a joy. Next slide. Next slide, please. This is Ruth. We began to go to our Samaria. We started going outside of Thailand. Ruth, we found out in 1992, she was in China. She was an Akka in China, accepted the Lord. 
So we, we sent one of our evangelists up by motorcycle, and he brought, it, brought her down and put Ruth through our Bible school. Ruth um, went back to China, has led over a thousand Akka to the Lord, and started three underground churches. Ruth is on our um, Bible translation team, so she's in twice a year and has been a major part of it. This last time she was in, we were having our women's conference. And um, in our women's conference, uh, we have witches that come to the Lord, um, but they don't always get cleaned overnight. Um, And the witches are the ones that get, when they do, they're trying to figure out what went wrong. The witches are actually the ones possessed by spirits. And so sometimes even our witches, getting them clean is harder than our witch doctors. And we were trying to have this women's conference, and these witches were manifesting. They were falling on the ground. They were hitting people. They were doing all kinds of crazy things. And our Boozy, one of our leaders, I was supposed to be teaching, she had it. She said, that's it. She said, anybody who's ever been a witch, I want you down here right now. If you're related to a witch, I want you down here right now. If you spent a lot of time watching the witches do their witchcraft, I want you down here right now. And they just started working it. And, and Ruth was there. And Ruth weighs about 85 pounds. You know, she gets called in by the police in China all the time. And they try to intimidate her uh, not to do her work. Um, but two times um, after they interrogate her, they've taken her out to lunch. <laughs> Ruth, just, she just turns things around because <laughs> she's so sweet. But she got with these witches. And she, she would look at these ladies and their eyes would be darting all over. She said, you look at me. No, 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 you look at me. And she'd just take on these spirits. And she started just casting spirits out of them. And doing. these ladies would go down and she'd say to me, you love on them. And then she'd move on to the next one. And she just set these women free in a way that we had never witnessed before. And we just saw the anointing on her. Just the next slide. Just Tuesday, I uh, was talking to one of my workers. And she was asking for prayer for Ruth. Ruth had led this um, man to the Lord two months ago. Prior to him coming to the Lord, um, he was a real menace in the, the village. But then once he received the Lord, he called her every day, and they talked, and he was really taking off with the Lord. So he began to share with people in the village um, that he had Jesus now. Well, the people in the village said, now you're going to cause us all kinds of problems because you've become Christian. The f- officials are going to come in. So about midnight, um, the village went to his door and knocked on the door and pulled him and his wife out and said to them, uh, we've had it with you. This is poison. We want you to eat this poison right now, drink it right now, and we want you to die because we're not going to let you bring, uh, be a threat to our village. Uh, the wife begged and said, I'll leave. I'll go to another village. Um, don't kill me. I haven't accepted this Jesus yet. Um, but they insisted that he drink it. And he was in torture for about an hour, but he died. Um, so now Ruth has taken his wife in. And so she just sent me this, these pictures and asked me to pray uh, for his wife. She's not sure what she's going to do with him. Um, and it was such, she was just heartbroken because she had been discipling him um, for a, about two months. And he was just really taking off with the Lord. But praise God. He's standing before the Lord today. He doesn't have to be accused anymore. He doesn't have to be tortured anymore. And I want to believe that in his death, that it's going to make an impact on that. Very last slide, please. 
We thank God. We thank God that you partner with us and that you are making difference. I've just told you some of the stories today of the lives that you're touching by helping us and standing with us. And as we think of this next generation coming up and helping each one find their destiny, their calling in, in life, we look forward to what the Lord has for us. We look forward to you guys coming to Thailand and seeing their ministry in Thailand. Um, but we thank you that uh, knowing that people are partnering with us and the Lord moving on people's hearts has, has empowered us to look at the next generation and continue to expand what we're doing and believing um, that there's going to be more. And we, we, we value your partnership and thank you. Tell them how you got